Well, one more time, good evening, and God bless you richly tonight. Wow, the house is pretty well double, almost tripled from, from what it's been some nights this week. But I bless God for that because the Bible says, He that is hunger, hungry and thirsty after righteousness shall be filled. And so my prayer tonight is, is that your heart is filled of, up of the Holy Spirit of Christ tonight and you are fed very well spiritually and as you walk with your Lord. Where do I start as far as saying thank you to the local congregation here for this week? I have been riched, blessed, I have been blessed richly rather. And my wife and my children weren't able to be here obviously, but they have been tremendously blessed as well. And my wife had sent me a text earlier just to tell, tell me to tell you all, thank you so much for your prayers on her behalf, on, the, on, the, on behalf of our children. God has answered prayers in our lives this week for sure. Thank you also for your generosity, for your kind words, for your encouragement, for your hospitality, especially to Jonathan and Janet for opening up your home and letting us stay there. God bless you richly. I have friends in Dayton, Virginia. And it's good to see some of the familiar faces that are here from other uh, brothers, brothers and sisters from other congregations as well tonight. I trust that you've come praying. And thank you for your prayers. I just thank God for how he answers prayers and takes care of his own. I'm inspired tonight with the story of the young man who's at the seashore. And I think it was starfish. All the starfish that was swept out onto the shore from the waves that was, that was uh, raging the night before. And so there's thousands and thousands of starfish. And this young man's here, and he's looking at them, and he starts to stoop down. He picks up a starfish, and he tosses it into the water. And he picks up another starfish, and he tosses it into the water. And there's an older man who come behind him and, and caught up with him and said, What in the world do you think you're doing? There are thousands of these fish out here. How are you going to save them all? You know that they're dying out here on the shore. Why are you trying to throw in just a couple? You know that it's, it's a useless effort. And here's a young man teaching an older man, but he stoops down again and he picks up that next starfish and he tosses it into the water. He said, I know I can't save them all. But he said, I made a difference for that one. I made a difference for that one. Y'all are familiar with that story, I'm sure. And tonight, by God's grace, if there has been one soul that has been won, into the kingdom of God, if there has been one or two or three or four commitments that has been made to the Lord Jesus Christ, I trust that the angels are rejoicing and that there is a difference that's been making in a few lives at least. We would love to go out and just save the whole wide world, wouldn't we? We'd love for the church to be so powerful and so attractive today that the world would just come running to be saved like they were in the Bible times when there was 3,000 souls added to the church in one day. But friends, tonight, God doesn't calling us to, for, to the big picture necessarily, but to be faithful in the small things in life. Save the few that are around us. Make a difference in the lives of those that are around you. And I trust that that's your heart's desire. Listen very, very carefully. Are you listening? Do you have your ears attentive, listening? I can hear... A distant cry, shouting out, the time is nigh. As the father tells his son, work on earth, this day is done. Son, go bring my children home, for I want them gathered around my throne. It's time to reap. 
the harvest that you have sown. Son, go, bring my children home. Verse 2 of this song says, What a joy to see his face. In his arms we will embrace. Never more we'll have to roam. For we finally made it home. Son, go bring my children home. For I want them gathered around my throne. It's time to reap the harvest that you and I have sown. Son, go bring my children home. I would like us to think about it tonight. Those words are going to be said from our Father in heaven to his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus doesn't even know the time or the hour. The Bible tells us when he's going to tell his Son, when the Father's going to look to the Son and say, go bring my children home. And you and I don't know when that hour is necessarily uh, tonight at all as well. But it's going to happen. And I'd like us to think about that, and I'd like us to think about our lives and where we will spend eternity. The songwriter says, where will you be a million years from now? Will you be happy? Will you be singing? While the ages roll throughout the endless ages of eternity, you and I get to ask our question tonight, in this night of salvation, in this night of grace, where will I be? Not even a, not even a million years from now, but a hundred years from now. Where will you and I be? Let's stand together, let's close our eyes, and let's ask ourselves personally that question, which means we're going to turn that question around and say, where will I be a million years from now? Let's sing prayerfully tonight. Where will I be a million years from now? Will I be happy? Will I be singing while the ages roll throughout eternity? I ask this question Father, we've asked ourselves the question. We've taken a look at it. And Lord, we want to be honest with what we sense as your Holy Spirit moves among us tonight. We want to find ourselves in the safest place in the world, and that is in the center of your will. We want to find ourselves, Lord, dead to what I want and alive unto what Jesus wants. We want to find ourselves, Lord, ready and watching and waiting to hear that trumpet sound when the Father tells the Son to go bring his children home. And Lord, tonight I pray that in this day of opportunity, this day of grace, we could just be real and be honest that if there's something that is bothering us in our relationship with you, Lord, that we could deal with it before we lay our heads down on our pillows tonight. Bless every soul who has chosen to come into your house. Lord, Speak to us. Speak to us. We want you to talk. We want you to speak clearly through the word and by your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that you would take it away from this message, the fear of man, fear of what man may say, fear of what man may think, that the powers and the darkness that, the, that Satan tries to cr crowd into our lives, Lord, I pray that in the name of Jesus there could be defeat in his work tonight and that Jesus Christ could be lifted up and exalted and glorified. And we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. And you may be seated.
me ask you a question tonight. Do you eagerly await the coming of our Jesus? There's been some commitments made this week. There's been a lot of prayers that's been offered. There's been a lot of surrendering, I think, that's been happening in our hearts and our lives. There's a desire to be where God wants us to be in this life. And so that we're ready whenever he calls my name home, whether by death or whether by when the trumpet sounds. Do you eagerly await, since we've been doing homework, since we've been doing some internal values, a valuing of our life, do you eagerly await the coming of our Jesus? First of all, I hope that we believe that Jesus is coming back again. If not, go to your Bibles and read it in John chapter 14, where just as Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us in so like manner, he's going to come back and receive unto himself. That which he has created, that which has chosen him. But tonight, do you more than believe in that doctrinal truth? Do you more than believe in what he has told us? Do you eagerly await him? Are you anticipating? Are you eager to see him come to receive us? Are you longing tonight and watching in your heart to go home? To be freed from these earthly bodies and to go home to be forever with the Lord? Sometimes when life becomes so full and hectic and crazy, we forget. We forget that we're not here forever. The Bible says the life is but a vapor. And then it vanishes away. And we are living in that vapor of time right now. You and I, as we sit here tonight, here we are and we're, we're taking up time and we know each other and we see each other and we have great relationships and we have a fellowship that we wouldn't want to lose. But we're not going to know each other forever like we know each other tonight. And this is a very crucial test tonight of the genuineness of our faith, I believe, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, when Peter says, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect and precious. And he that believeth on him shall not be confounded unto you, therefore which believe that he is precious. Is Jesus precious to you tonight? Is Jesus precious to you? The preciousness of Jesus is the evidence of our faith. And the anticipation of his coming is the evidence of his preciousness. So therefore tonight we can test the reality of our faith by whether we are eagerly awaiting for Jesus to return for his bride. I don't believe tonight that we need to be thinking about Jesus' return all of the time. If you were here tonight, uh, husbands, as you think about your sweethearts, your wives, wives, you think about your husbands, maybe there's a boyfriend here tonight who has a girlfriend, you're not thinking about them all the time, necessarily. But rather, I ask you tonight, ask yourself these questions. Does your mind return frequently to the truth of his appearing? And when your mind turns to the truth of his appearing, does your heart want it? Is there an eagerness? For that moment, when it's going to happen in the twinkling of an eye, will you be ready? Are you going to be ready? Do you pray for his coming? Even so, come, Lord Jesus. And it's difficult to pray that sometimes, especially when we have loved ones who are not ready to go. Oh, but it's going to be a glorious, a glorious time for the saint, for the one who's ready to be gathered home. I think sometimes we've been talking about wanting to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. What will it be like when we get to heaven? What will be the first things that we want to see when we get to heaven? What will it be like as we get to a glorious eternity, fellowship with the saints in God's presence? Will we recognize our loved ones? I don't know how that's all going to be tonight. Will we ask, where's daddy at? 
Where's grandpa? Where's grandma? Where's our loved ones who have gone on before us? Won't we want to fall at the feet of Jesus and say, I want to see his hands. I want to see his feet. What will be the first things that we say when we get to heaven? I don't know. Revelations 21.4 says, And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Do we have an eagerness tonight to go home, to go to heaven? Are we ready to meet Jesus? It has blessed my heart tremendously ten months ago, standing around my father-in-law's bedside in the Chambersburg Hospital. A man who was dying. We knew that he was going to soon leave this world. Brother Claire Lehman happens to be my father-in-law, for those of you who know him. May of 2018, May 8, God called his name, and he went home. But as we gathered around as a family, my, my wife's dad, we gathered around that bedside and we began to pray. For a while, he wanted to talk to us. He wanted to just breathe a blessing onto the lives of his children. And he began to tell us, he said, I'm ready. I'm ready to go, and I want to see Jesus. My father-in-law had multiple sclerosis. He was diagnosed in 1985. He tells me, he told me, that, uh, he told me there was a time in his life when he was a young man about my age. I think he was mid-30s. I'm not sure exactly what his age was when he was diagnosed. But in 1985, he, began, he had multiple sclerosis, and his body con, uh, began to become paralyzed over time. Some of you remember him in a wheelchair. And as a young man, he had to start going to church with a cane. And he was so embarrassed to have to go to church with a cane. He wanted to be able to be healthy just like all the other young men were, all the other people his age were. And in five years, he was, now, he was taken from the cane to a wheelchair, where since 1990 he was wheelchair-bound. So from 1990 to 2018, is 28 years, my father-in-law got around in a wheelchair. And there was times he would look at me and he said, he said, you know, I was a proud man. I didn't want to have to walk with a cane. He said, there was a brother that came up to me and said, you need to swallow your pride. Accept God's will for your life. It'll be okay. You can walk with the cane, young man. And he said, today, after years of being in the wheelchair, he said, I would give anything to walk again. Dear ones, tonight, I believe he's walking. I believe he is shouting upon the hills of glory, praising his Savior, the one whom he was faithful to all of his life. His, his motto, his life motto that was read at his funeral was this, my sovereign creator is engineering my circumstances. Think about this, dear ones. Think about, those, think about your life and your lot in life. My sovereign creator is engineering my circumstances for his glory and my good. I rejoice in that truth. I will not accommodate the devil by giving in to self-pity and discouragement. Just a simple little profound vision that my father-in-law was so faithful at carrying. But he wanted to go see Jesus. When he felt like the time was coming for him to breathe his last, his testimony to the family with tears in her eyes as we were singing songs about heaven, he mouthed to us, I want to see Jesus. And in the last few hours of his life, as we, st as we uh, stood around his bedside singing, he wasn't able to sing with us. But then we came to the song of, We're Marching to Zion. Beautiful, beautiful sign. That beautiful place, that beautiful city. Dad was able to mouth the words right along with us as we sang. And finally, at 4 o'clock in the morning, some of us were there through the night. We wanted to be there as he, was, as he breathed his last. At 4 a.m. in the morning, when his breathing came to an end, my wife's mom, his wife, with, with a shout, 
with tears in her eyes, with a heartache, as she said goodbye to her precious husband. She said, the victory is won. The battle on this earth is over. And she knew all of the temptations and the struggles that her husband had wrestled with in that condition for years, almost three decades in a wheelchair. And she knew the joy that her husband was going to experience as he was saying goodbye here and ready to meet his Jesus. What a beautiful, beautiful opportunity that you and I can have tonight to be prepared, to be ready, to have a peace in our hearts tonight that passes all understanding, to have the joy of God that is unspeakable and full of glory. Full of glory. You and I, every one of us, God wants to save every soul that's here tonight. He wants to do that. That is his desire and that is his heart. And I trust tonight that we will find it so in our lives and find it so in our heart as he calls our name as well. Go with me in your Bibles, please, to Titus. Titus chapter 2. As we think about anticipating Jesus' return, the poem says it this way, You've time to build houses and in them dwell, and time to do business, to buy and to sell, but none for repentance or deep earnest prayer to seek your salvation. You've no time to spare. You've time for earth's pleasures, for frolic and fun, for her glittering treasures, how quickly you run. But care not to seek that fair mansion above, the favor of God or the gift of his love. You've time to take voyages over the sea and time to take in the world's jubilee. But soon your bright hopes will be lost in the gloom of the cold, dark river of death and the tomb. You've time to resort to the mountain and glen and time to gain knowledge from books and from men. Yet no time to search for the wisdom of God. But what of your soul when you're under the side? For time will not linger when helpless you lie. Staring death in the face, you will take time to die. Then what of your judgment? Pause, think, I implore, for time will be lost on eternity's shore. Titus chapter 2. And I want to go to verse 11. And start reading there. It says that the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, which is right now. Looking for. As we're here, we're to be looking for. Means we're anticipating, we're watching, we're looking, we're longing, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing. Of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Three points that I want to pull out of this passage here. The coming of Jesus is worthy tonight of our eager expectation. Why? Because you see it here that it is a blessed hope. A blessed hope tonight is the exact opposite of is the exact opposite of a cursed hope. It will mean blessing and not cursing. Romans 8 1, some a familiar verse. There is therefore now no condemnation. Right now. You, should, you do not have to have condemnation in your heart. As you hear a message of being prepared for eternity. There is therefore now no condemnation to who? Them 
who, which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit, after the Spirit of God. And for those of you who are longing to walk after the Spirit of God and who are doing it in your life, and you know that you are an overcomer by the power of Jesus in your life, there is no condemnation here tonight. There doesn't have to be a trembling and a quaking and a shaking that's happening within our hearts. It doesn't have to be tonight, praise God, because we're looking for that blessed hope of His return. There is a hope within us that is looking forward to that. There is only a blessing for those who are in Christ Jesus. There will be no curse in it for Christians when that trumpet sounds. There won't be a curse in it at all for Christians. What a promise. Our hope is in confident expectation of salvation, not wrath. Secondly, you see here in this passage that it is a visible hope. It is something that we will be able to see. It's something It is the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior. We will see it with our very eyes in the moment that it happens. Ever since the Son of God, Jesus, became man, people wanted to see him. People wanted to see Jesus. You could leave through your Bible and look at the people in the Bible who wanted to see Jesus. Even many a sinner who wanted to see this man who was able to perform miracles and be able to teach in a way that was astounding and one who spoke in authority. They were drawn to this man. They wanted to see Jesus. There's too many of us tonight that don't really care about what we, what we see when we see Jesus. Or if we knew what we were looking at, maybe we would have more of a longing. Do you want to see Jesus? Do you want to see Jesus tonight? Think about it. Philip said to Nathaniel, come and see him. Zacchaeus that we talked about earlier this week, he climbed up into that sycamore tree. Chief of sinners, not, not well loved, one who took advantage of people. But he climbed up into that sycamore tree. Why? <laughs> because he wanted to see Jesus. And there are sinner friends tonight who want to see Jesus, but they're afraid of what the crowd will do to them. Zacchaeus wasn't afraid. He climbed up into that tree because he wanted to see. And maybe they wouldn't let him get any closer, and so he had to get as high as he could to be able to see him. We know that he was a little man. The Greeks said to his disciple, Sir, we would see Jesus. The apostle Paul wrote, Now we see through a glass darkly, but then that longing that we have, we will see him face to face. Our Jesus John seems to make everything hang on this one hope when he says, It does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he appears, Jesus, when he, when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. I don't expect tonight that a long-distance phone call is going, to be made, be, is going to be needed to be made to the throne room of heaven when that trumpet sounds. When the Son of God comes back for His own. I don't believe it's going to need, there needs to be a, a long-distance phone call. But I hope to just see the lips of Jesus and hear Him proclaim, Welcome home, my children. Welcome home, my sons and daughters. Please enter into what I have prepared for you. Oh, friends, it's going to be a glorious, a glorious moment. One that we, we forget about that's going to happen. One that we hardly even believe will happen sometimes because of being buried by the things that are around us and forgetting that he's coming back. He's not going to leave us here forever. Thirdly, tonight in this passage in Titus chapter 2, you see that it is a glorious hope. It is a glorious hope. It is the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior. Listen as I read carefully John's attempt in Revelation here, chapter 1. To put into this into words in Revelation, John says it this way. He says, I saw one like unto the Son of Man, 
clothed with a garment down to the foot and girt about with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. And his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice is the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was as the sun shineth in its strength. I admit to you tonight, I don't even understand what all I just read to you. I don't understand what all is going to take place in this day. I believe Jesus tonight is coming back, though. And I believe that the ultimate message that Jesus has for us, the keynote instructions of our Savior, was not that we understand all of the order of events, what all is going to take place, when we should expect Jesus to come back. And I'm not saying we shouldn't be prophetic tonight and we shouldn't study into prophecy and we shouldn't understand the book of Revelations because I believe it's there for our reading, for our intake, for our understanding, that we put on the mind of Christ as He is. But... We need to be honest tonight. No matter where we stand in our eschatology, no matter where we are tonight, we still don't know exactly how it's going to be. And I believe we do so well as a church tonight to not be uh, debating back and forth always exactly what it's going to be like. I think we need to be caring more about the lost. There's more things to be concerned about tonight. Jesus' keynote message to you and I tonight is not to understand how the program of events will take place. But his message is very simple. It's to be ready. Be ready. Be ready. It's important that we understand that tonight. The hope of Jesus coming affects the believer tonight. Jesus is coming again. Then there's a very vital connection with this hope and daily living. Go with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24. There's so many verses you could read from tonight. I'm not sure where all to, to go with it. I know the clock continues to tick. Matthew 24, verses 32 to the end of the chapter. I want to read this. We start out here with the parable of the fig tree. When Jesus, Jesus is speaking, and anytime Jesus is speaking, we want to pay very close attention because it's life-changing. Jesus is speaking here in Matthew 24, 32. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, ye know that summer is nigh. That's what's happening all around us right now, and most of us are excited about seeing new life. Verse 33 says, Then so likewise ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. Did that sink in? Did we get it? Know that it is near even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Verse 36, but of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be in the field, the one shall be taken and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the goodman of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, 
he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household, to give them meat in due season? Blessed is that servant, whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Verily I say unto you, that he shall make him ruler over all his goods. But, and if that evil servant shall say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to smite his fellow servants, and to eat and to drink with the drunken, the Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him, and in an hour that he is not aware of, and shall cut him asunder, and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. And there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. A horrible, horrible place that we don't want to go. People who are looking and waiting for the Lord's return tonight, dear ones, have about them a sacred regard of soberness. There's a certain amount of soberness that the, God, the man who fears God has as he chooses to walk in obedience to his will. And he has a sacred regard for truth. That's why we've had revival meetings this week, to be sure that we have about us a certain uh, attitude of soberness and a sacred regard for truth. You see, the brighter the hope of Jesus coming the stronger the impulse and desire to be in proper condition to meet him when he comes. That's our heart's desire. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 14, backs up these verses as well when it says, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless. Without spot and blameless. We don't want to have a wrinkle on our garment. We don't want to be anybody here who is causing a stain on the church of Jesus Christ. We want his bride to be ready and watching, to be ready and waiting when he calls our name, when he comes for us. Mark 13, 33 says, Take ye heed, watch and pray, for ye know not when the time is. Expectancy makes us watchful. Anticipation makes us eager. There is a longing within our hearts tonight to go home. I hope that that's your prayer. I hope it's not just for the gray-haired ones that are among us tonight who has weathered the storms and have lived a life and are now just ready for Jesus to call their name. Young men, young ladies, we can have that same hunger and that same desire and that same longing in our hearts to be ready and to have a longing to go home. And you say, but we love our loved ones here. And sure we do. Oh, but friends, we have such a grand, grand eternity for all the ages to come to enjoy when we're with Jesus. But until then, we're here to occupy until he comes, as the Bible says. Our zeal of the Lord's return controls who we are. That's the point that I want to make. Our zeal for God controls how we live our lives. We understand that God has called us to a life of holiness. John 9, 4 says, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day, because the night cometh when no man can work. Our calling is an awesome, awesome calling. It's an awesome calling to be faithful. He that does little in the kingdom of God will receive much in the kingdom of God. It starts with the little things in life. It starts with the small things in life. But even, we are even now standing on the brink of eternity. Can you believe that we are one heartbeat from this place that we're talking about tonight when we think of heaven or where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, which is hell? Two destinies after this life is where you and I will go to one or the other. Very simple message that Jesus gives us here tonight as we anticipate his coming. We want to work for Jesus 
until he comes. We have loved ones tonight who have gone on before us. We have loved ones whom we would long to shake their hands again and just see their smile, see them as a person. I remember a man who was 43 years old, single fellow in our congregation. He and I was able to help accommodate a funeral service in our church on a Friday afternoon. I think it was Friday morning, actually. And he was our sound personnel back there. He was the one who ran the sound and made sure everything was flowing well. We had a cemetery out, out to... If you were standing up front, it was off to your left, I guess. Over here was a cemetery. And he would make sure that he had taken the mic over to the cemetery so that the folks that were listening in on the phone line would be able to hear what was happening at the, at the service of the uh, burial as well. And I remember that morning that as I got there to help prepare, this was for another congregation. It wasn't our own. Sheldon was his name. And I remember Sheldon wasn't there. And it was getting to be about five minutes or ten minutes or so before the service began. And he was the one that knew how to run the equipment. I was just there to support him. And he wasn't there. And I was beginning to become a little anxious and wondering where he was at. So I ran outside and went out to my vehicle. I got my phone. And I went to punch in his number. And I looked back up at the church. And there he was. He was walking up the steps of our church into the, into the entrance area. And I put my phone down. And I ran in behind him. And I put my hands on his shoulders. And I said, Sheldon, it is so good to see you. And we served together there. We worked together. We made sure things was flowing well. And as, they, as, the, as the family went over to the burial site, I remember very distinctly Sheldon looking at me and he said, Mark, they were singing songs about heaven, of course. And they were singing, Shall We Gather at the River? That beautiful, beautiful river, that beautiful place in that city of gold. And I remember him looking at me and saying, Mark, that, don't that sound so very beautiful? And I never would have guessed that after he asked me that question, less than 24 hours later, he would be there himself. He would breathe his last. He found himself the next night on Saturday night with his friends. They were planning together a, a singing. With a, uh, he was with a committee, and he was there, and he had his girlfriend by his side. He was 43. He was dating Marcy Newswanger, for those of you who know her, from Lancaster County. She was by his side, and as he was in the middle of a sentence, his head went back, hit the window, and his heart quit beating, and he, they laid him out, and he was gone, just like that. Just like that. We got the phone call that night. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. This was probably six or seven years ago, and they said, could you please come, come to the hospital and be here with the family? And that was probably one of the most difficult messages I've had to preach with a man who in less than a week was serving with me in the congregation. And now we were having his funeral service where he lay in the casket. I would love to have Sheldon with us today. I would love to have his leadership abilities in our congregation today. I would love to have him for every selfish reason you can think of tonight. But it was time for him to go home. It was time for him to go home. God called his name and said, come home, my son. Come home. And you and I are here tonight for very obvious reasons. God is not finished with our life Yet, you are here tonight, you are sitting in the pew, you have chosen to come to God's house because God is not done with your life yet. But that time is narrowing and that, uh, that day is coming when he's going to call your name. It may be tonight, we don't know. But are we ready that whenever we get caught in a moment like that, all of his friends were around him there in that, in that restaurant where they were and they tried their best to, read, to bring him back. But it was time for Sheldon to go. 
There was a lot of tears, a lot of heartache. And that's what we face on this side of eternity. But we're going to a place where there's no crying. There's no dying. All is peace there. There's no night there. It's a beautiful place, dear ones. It's a place that we should long for tonight. It's a place that we all should want to go to when we leave this side of eternity to step into glory and to be with Jesus forever, reunited forever. In the last four to five years, between my wife and I, about four or five, four, four of our grandparents have gone home to be with Jesus. There's nobody can take the place of grandma in your life. My grandma had an unusually large spiritual heart. And there was many of my friends that called her granny. We called her granny because we, we, she was just a special granny, and she liked us calling her that. She took in my brother. She took in my sister. She took in some, some other loved ones who was struggling through life, and she cared for them. And I didn't hear my grandma pray in public too much. But as a young man, I remember staying overnight at her house one night, and we got down in our living room or in her living room, and knelt at the couch, and I heard my grandma go down through the list of her grandchildren. I just say tonight, I'm a believer that, the, that prayers change things. That, God, that prayer changes us, and God changes things. And I believe tonight, I, I believe this with all of my heart, that even as I stand before you and minister the gospel tonight, your prayers, the good grace of our Heavenly Father and the prayers of the saints is what carries us. I'm so thankful tonight that as we walk on that seashore with Jesus, there's two sets of footprints, but there's places where there's just one is when God says, I'll take you, son. I'll carry you through this. I know it's difficult. I know it's hard. I know you don't have the strength, but let me carry you, son. And I believe that this week was another one of those, and I just want to bless God for that. Why would I run from a God who I can put my faith in, who's able to help us through anything in life? And help us to himself. I believe tonight that the prayers of my grandma made a difference. Made a difference in my life. And you could, you could share stories of that as well, I'm sure. Tonight, I believe all of us here are here because we believe that God sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to be the savior of the world. I'm a daddy of one son now that you know that. And I already love my son, just two weeks old. I love him more than you know, probably. Actually, probably not. You as dads tonight, you know how much you love your children. I have a love for my son. But our daddy, our heavenly father, sent his only begotten son, who has an unconditional love for all of mankind. And he said, son, go. And we know the story of Jesus so very well in our settings here tonight. We know how he came in a humble manner and as a baby. And he grew up and lived a perfect example for us to follow. And then he went to the cross. I can't imagine as, a, as the Father in heaven witnessed that. And he watched his son go through pain, go through rejection. He was despised and rejected of man. He was criticized. He was scourged. He was ridiculed. He was mocked. And do you think the Heavenly Father's heart was not touched as he watched his son go through what it cost him to pay for your sins and mine tonight, to give us, to set us free for all eternity? We underestimate what we've been delivered from, what we've been rescued from, what we deserve tonight apart from Jesus Christ. And I can imagine Jesus as he was there. And those Folks came up to him and they socked him one right in the mouth. 
You can imagine Jesus turning to his father and saying, Daddy, would you please help me? I can't imagine tonight letting my son get out of his seat if he was here tonight and come up here and stand before you and asking each one of you to do that, to come up to my son and punch him one in the face. And when you get to my son, you, you spit at him. That's what they did to Jesus. You spit at him and he turns to me and says, Daddy, would you please help me? And they grab him by the hair and they start pulling his hair out and they put that crown of thorns on his, and they, on his head and they push it down into where it's down into the skull, probably pushing out at the eyes. And then they shove that sword into his side, into the, where, into the very core where the blood and the water is stored. If you read about it, you know, you know the story of how our Jesus suffered and died. I can't imagine tonight as a daddy standing here letting you do that to my son. But we are worshiping a father that we have a relationship with tonight because he was willing to let his son go through that to save you, to save you, to save you, to save you, to save me tonight. Are we accepting that free gift of salvation that is in Jesus Christ? And are we anticipating the results of what it is to be a believer in Christ and to be washed in the blood? I think tonight of those who don't have faith in Jesus. I think tonight of those who say there is no God out there. You're wasting your time tonight. Why in the world would you go to a Sunday night revival meetings? There is no God out there. A man shares his testimony. He said he was a young boy. He rode bike to his church. He said we lived beside a neighbor man who was an atheist. You know what tonight I believe? I believe an atheist has to have more faith than what believers do. You need to have more faith to say that there is no God when you walk out and look at creation in and of itself. The beauty of nature and how it existed. Anyhow, that's another subject. This was a man who said, there is no God, son. You are wasting your time. Don't go to church today. And this man said it made him mad back then. He really got upset as this atheist sat out on his front porch and would criticize him and ridicule him for going to church. And he tells the story. He said this atheist became old, or older at least, at the age of 72, and was taken to the hospital. And as this man was on his last hours of living here on this side of eternity, this man said it took some seven doctors and nurses to hold that atheist man down as he screamed the words, Please, please get my feet out of the fire. Please get my feet out of the fire. And that's how that man exited to his eternal reward. Fear gripped that young man's heart. And this man began to share another story, and he talked about his grandma that was a lot like mine. He said, my grandma, he said she was a strong believer in Jesus. He said she'd be out on her front porch at the farmhouse there, and he said he'd walk up to her knowing she was in extreme pain. She was suffering like a lot of older folks can and do. And he'd go up to her and he'd say, Grandma, how in the world can you stand to endure pain like that? And he said his grandma would look down at his grandson and she would say, Son, if God can get honor and glory out of me like this, then praise be to God. A beautiful, beautiful attitude of surrender to God and his will for her life. He said, My grandma became very sick at the age of 70. And he said, My grandma was one of those ladies that when she smiled, she had one of those gray, big old pumpkin smiles where it would just run from like one ear all the way to the other. She just had a really contagious smile. She was taken sick and was taken to the hospital. The family was there day in and day out for a couple of days. 
And as a young teenager, this man was troubled that he was going to lose his grandma. And he said, so one, one night, whenever they were all out at the, in the lounge area there of the hospital, he said, I went back into the room where my grandma was. He said, I went up over to my grandma, and I just put her hand in mine. He said, I just, I was holding on. And he said, I was there, and the room was dark, the lights were off, and it was just me and my grandma. And he was, he was distressed at her, her leaving. He said it wasn't long until her grandma, his grandma sat up in bed. And as she sat up in bed, she looked and she said, all those lights. Grandma, the lights are off. There's no lights on. Grandma said, and all those people. Grandma, there's no one here. And he said the last words that his grandma uttered and had the ounce to breathe on this side of eternity was this. And I know. He said she got one of those big old pumpkin smiles. A big smile. And he said, and she said, and I know who that is. And she slipped away. What a difference tonight. What a difference when Jesus is on the inside. Friends, I believe tonight that atheist is in hell hearing the word, Son, remember. He's thinking of opportunities and moments that he could have had at least on a night like this right here at this Bethany Mennonite church. Hearing the, uh, hearing the opportunity to come unto Jesus and I will give you rest. But instead he's in that horrible place, that bottomless pit that the Bible describes where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I told you earlier this week, it's not about scaring us into heaven tonight. But we need to realize that there is one of two and we need to be shaken up, I believe, tonight and realize our state and be sure that all is well with my soul when Jesus calls my name. And are we there? What a difference when Jesus is on the inside, when Jesus is on the inside like this man's grandma. The mother that says, I'm praying for you, child. I think oft times as the night draws nigh of an old house on the hill, of a yard all wide and blossom starred where the children played at will. And when the night at last came down, hushing the merry din, mother would look around and ask, Are all the children in? Tis many and many a year since then, and the old house on the hill no longer echoes to childish feet, and the yard is still so still. But I see it all as the shadows creep, and though many the years have been, since then, I can hear my mother ask, Are all the children in? I wonder if when the shadows fall on that last short earthly day, when we say goodbye to the world outside, all tired with our childish play, when we step out into that other land where mother so long has been, will we hear her ask, just as of old, Are all the children in? Are all the children in tonight? Are all the children in? Your testimony can be as a songwriter saying, I'm ready for that journey. I'm packed and ready for a one-way flight to glory. I've got my ticket and I'm waiting now to go. Oh, I need not fear for Jesus is my pilot. Within his care, I'll travel safely. There I know. Brother Darrell, I know you're probably a good pilot and I can't even find him right now. Back there he is. But I don't want you to be my pilot when I'm on this one-way flight to glory, brother. I want Jesus to be my pilot, and you want Jesus to be, this, be your pilot. It's a one-way flight, never to return. Never to return back to this old world. 
Some folks linger around and wait to get their tickets. They say tomorrow or next year, but not tonight, not before. Oh, but if Jesus comes tonight and we're not ready, we'll miss this one-way flight to heaven's golden shore. Oh, this journey will be soon. Let's all be ready for that eternal day when time shall be no more. Oh, I'm longing now to gaze upon my Savior when in his presence I shall dwell forevermore. Oh, yes, I'm ready for that journey over yonder to that great city with its mansions bright and fair. Just any day now my Lord will come to take me. Oh, hallelujah, what a meeting in the air. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Heavenly Father, in the quietness of this moment, there is a sobering question that is being asked of you for, to us tonight, and we hear it, Lord. I just thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for your message of come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Seek, and ye shall find. Ask, and it shall be given unto you. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Come in. And sup with me and I will sup with you as your words to us tonight. Father, tonight I pray that you would just please be faithful in knocking on our heart's door in this opportunity of salvation. Lord, I pray that the heart that is pounding, the soul that is struggling, that you would give them a courage tonight that they don't have in and of themselves to get out of their seat and respond and say, Yes, Jesus, I do want you to come into my life. I do want you to come in and make me a brand new creature, a brand new man, a brand new woman for you, Lord. Lord, please give me what I know that I need in order to be right when you call my name to come home. I just pray, O oh Father, that in these next few moments you would be very close to us as you call. And as you minister to our hearts, I pray tonight, Lord, that you would give peace where there is due peace tonight because of repentant, surrendered lives to you. I just pray, Lord, that there would be no condemnation on those souls tonight. But, oh God, if there are someone here who knows that not all is well, then please, oh God, call them by your Holy Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.